This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martorano. We're here every Saturday. We, we talk about the disease of addiction and uh, the many ways to recovery. We emphasize this every week. We want to educate uh, listeners and give them as much information about substance abuse and the treatments that's available because that's of, of, of paramount importance. But we, we also want to leave you every week with the uh, understanding that millions of people, millions of people manage to get sober. Okay? So that's the show is dedicated to that proposition. And it is all sponsored by the good, good people at Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. So this week we've got something interesting. We are going to focus on uh, an aspect of substance abuse that is not well known, I think, but it is an, growing at an alarming rate, and that's hepatitis C. Um, as though uh, substance abuse and IV drug use did not, you know, cause an enormous amount of pain and suffering and death uh, all by itself, there's now this other rise of this very serious uh, but treatable liver infection. So hepatitis C and substance abuse is the topic on this week's Recovery Radio. To that end, we have two guests in the studio with us. Melissa Callahan is a frequent contributor to this program. Melissa is a great resource. She is uh, a nurse practitioner, and she is also director of nursing for retreats facilities both in the Lancaster County area and uh, and in Florida as well. We welcome uh, Melissa Callahan to the program. Hello, Melissa. Hello. I'm Good glad to see to be you back. again. And uh, uh, with us as well is Kevin Morales. Kevin, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. Kevin is a 22-year-old guy who is in, working on his sobriety right now, uh, in treatment even as we speak, and, and doing uh, real, real well as a result, though, of uh, some bad choices and uh, intravenous drug use four or five years ago, he con- he contacted, uh, contracted, 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 yes, hepatitis C. And he's going to tell us um, what that was like. So, Kevin, thanks. And we'll get to your story in, in just a minute. But I want to get uh, Melissa to tell us what we're talking about when we talk about the disease of hepatitis. What is it? Thank you for having me. Um, I feel pretty passionate about hepatitis C. It has been around or decided to be named Hep C as of 1989, Their treatments that started in the early 90s were pretty horrific, and it took until about 2014 to come up with oral treatments, but those treatments are actually cures. The rates are 97 to 100% that the disease process is eradicated. So speaking about hep C as a disease process, it is um, a contagious disease process, so you can contract it from blood to blood contact. Although IV drug use is the most common way that we are now diagnosing it, that's the number one risk factor. The other risk factors are history of having tattoos and piercings. It also, if you were born between 1945 and 65, before they came up with universal precautions or contact precautions, they didn't know that uh, blood could carry an infection for so long. So is this why I see those commercials on television yes. that warn me, a, a yes. member in good standing of the baby boomer generation, that yes. I might have something? Because dental offices and medical companies did not know what you needed to do in order to kill the bacteria. So listen to this. Hepatitis C can live on a surface for up to 20 days. They found that it could live in an inkwell for tattooing for up to 30 days. So... 
previous to discovering these things, you would go to a tattoo artist, they would take the black ink, they'd put the needle in, put it on the person, put it right back in the big vat, not knowing that this virus could live for 30 days. And then anybody who touched the ink, they were very smart to change the needle because that seems obvious. But the ink was now contaminated right. with the virus. Well, and I can imagine in a dentist's office setting as well, no matter how scrupulously they felt they were cleaning up after seeing a patient, it could still be there under those circumstances. Melissa, this sounds medieval. What, what took people, what took the science so long to figure out what was going on here? I don't know. I don't know. So we knew HIV wouldn't live more than 10 minutes. We knew bleach would eradicate it. I don't think that it wasn't when they first found it in 1989. Remember, it was from medical, dental. It wasn't from high-risk behavior, so to speak. And then tattoos, they figured that out, and piercings. They realized that mothers could transfer to the babies. What happened around 2007 when opioids exploded, Mm -hmm. hep C rose greater than they could imagine. And right now, more people will die from hep C than all the other contagious diseases, which includes HIV and tuberculosis. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So so again, one of the ironic and tragic consequences of the opioid explosion, as you say, first of all, got everybody's attention. Mm-hmm. Now it's no longer a criminal justice problem. It's a mental. It's a it's a medical problem. Um, the light went on. People went, well, yeah. wait a minute. We're seeing a rise in Hep C because of intravenous. Maybe there's a blood uh, uh, factor. So it's sharing needles and and stuff like that. Yes, yes. And everyone assumes that it's heroin, but the number one increase is injecting opioid prescriptions. Really? Yes. Uh, I don't understand. I thought it was dirty needles. That would... It is dirty needles, but everybody assumes that needles are only associated with heroin, uh-huh. not with a prescriptive drug, not with a drug that is created in a pharmaceutical company. Well, before we go any further, let, let, let's let people who are who are not going to abuse uh, opioids and shoot intravenous drugs, uh, but are going to go to dentists and maybe get a tattoo. How do they protect? How do we protect ourselves? So now they have very strict universal precautions, contact precautions for dental offices, hospitals, ORs, um, tattoo parlors. Everything has to be individual and disposed of. There's not a lot of stuff that's reusable these days, but the things that are, the only cleaning products they make are ones that can kill every type of virus that we have discovered so far. So in your role as a nurse practitioner and certainly as uh, the director of uh, nursing here, uh, in that role, what did you do? What, what, what were the first steps you took? So when I first came to retreat, I had been in the behavioral health, even primary care industry since 1999, pretty much. And I realized in most locations, we knew what high-risk behaviors were. And sometimes we screened, sometimes we didn't. But whether we found someone was positive or not, we never took a next step because it was very difficult. So there were parameters in place prior to December of 2016 that unless you were sober for six months at least, you couldn't even be seen by a specialist or do the next level testing to find out what type of hep C you have and if you qualified for treatment. So when I came to retreat, I figured... Let's find out how we can do the next step. How can we figure out how to get people screened? And if they're positive, do the next level of screening, use their medical insurance and get them the help while their brains are clearing up 
look at this disease process and see if there's treatment options out there. And we have been able to, at retreat, get people approved for eight-week treatment. So these are pills that you take once a day for eight weeks. And at the end of it, 97 to 100% are cured. So all of the people we've had at retreat and we've been able to treat have come without any traces of active virus after the treatment. So in the bad old days, and that, that includes today in, in many places, th- this was not thought to be something that, that a treatment facility for substance abuse would automatically look for or screen, correct? Correct. And I will tell you, it's not easy. We probably get on average three to five denials every time we prescribe the medicine. You mean for treatment? For the treatment from the insurance for insurance Yes. Um, well, let's... It's another whole kettle of fish, but yes. you're always fighting with the insurance companies. Um, how hard is it to see? I, I understand that there are no symptoms. Are there symptoms? Mostly not. Most people will not present with sy- symptoms for the first 20 years. And if you are going to present with symptoms, it's going to be fatigue. It's going to be GI symptoms, which you can attribute to addiction, so many different things. There's really not clear presentation that makes people go and get screened What made me saddest and made me decide we needed to do something different is the 18 to 29-year-old population is the most common population that we're seeing in uh, detox settings. And they'll come in and say, oh, yeah, I have hep C. But, you know, like all my friends have it. I'm not having any symptoms. I'm fine. And that mortified me that we have health professionals out there okay with a patient walking away being told this diagnosis and thinking that nothing's going to happen to them. What happens when there is no treatment for hep C? No treatment. They say 50% of those people will require liver transplants. It's the number one reason why people need liver transplants. Um, it leads to liver cell carcinoma or cancer, mm. cirrhosis, and you so, won't know until it's already through the process. Right, You're so, not going to have symptoms along the way. Yeah, so this is something that cannot be ignored. No. Well, uh, what's the screening? Is it a, bl- a blood test? It's a blood test. Um, at first, I was doing um, a finger prick test, which is a very easy test. But um, we're now doing a blood test through medical insurance. If someone comes up positive for antibodies, which means they've been exposed, we do a next level testing, which usually all the labs have a set amount of tests that they do. It looks for what's called a genotype, a fibrosis level, and how much viral load is present. Those things you generally need to submit to the insurance company in order to get the medication approved. As a general proposition, except for people, uh, or I should say, except for people who are engaged in risky behaviors, who should get screened for Hep C? It is now deemed that anyone born 1945 to 65 has to have at least a baseline screening. And primary doctors should be doing that. They automatically should know if you're born in that age range, you have to get a test and make sure you're negative. So every year I get my physical? Just one time. You have to have a one-time test to make sure that right. you're not positive. But is my physician automatically looking for FC or do I have to say to him, hey, this year when you take blood, take a look? He's supposed to be, but I would definitely ask him. As soon as we're done here, (laughs) Melissa, Uh, Melissa Callahan, nurse practitioner and director of nursing for retreats facilities, as I said, both in Lancaster County and uh, in Florida with us to talk about hepatitis C. You may have seen the commercials on television that I mentioned earlier. Uh, You may read uh, celebrities who have said that, yeah, I've got it. And uh, it's way way more serious than I think some of those uh, 
images might suggest. We're, we're going to find out just what it's like uh, when, you, when you get this diagnosis as a result of uh, intravenous drug use. When we come back with our additional guest, uh, Kevin Morales, who's with us on Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano with you uh, this week, the topic of hepatitis C, which we now know because Melissa Callahan, nurse practitioner and director of nursing, has told us um, a lot of people ought to be thinking about. Uh, is certainly a, a tragic result of um, substance abuse. To, to that end, uh, we've been talking about how it's treated, and it's, it's very treatable uh, and, should be, um, and should be that way. People should pay attention to this. But we're going to focus in, as we do, about substance abuse. To that end, we welcome Kevin Morales to the program. Kevin's a 22-year-old uh, uh, young man who struggled with uh, substance abuse. He's in treatment right now, doing very well, maintaining his sobriety. But as a result of uh, some bad choices in his life, he contacted hepatitis C. Kevin, thanks for uh, joining us. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. No, it's our, it's our, our, our uh, we thank you very much. So, you know, you, what you told me during uh, during one of the breaks here that you uh, were using um, heroin intravenously four or five years ago in your late teens, over- overdosed a number of times, and it was during as a result of one of those overdoses that you found out you had hepatitis C. Yeah. Tell us that story. Uh, well, it was actually one of the low points in my life. It wasn't. It wasn't like an accidental like overdose. That one was. Um, that one was like intentional. Um, I was tired of living the way that I was living, and I gave up. Um, it's a really dark time in my life, and um, during one of those times, um, I wake up a couple of days later, like in the hospital, and uh, the nurse says, "Hey, listen, I have some bad news for you." I'm like. <laughs> okay, what's up? <laughs> Wait a minute. You got bad news for me? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I know. Um, and she said, do you know you're positive for hep C? Uh, and I kind of looked at her blankly and I said, uh, what exactly is that? I mean, I've heard some things about it, but I didn't really know what it was. And she was like, no, like it's a bloodborne pathogen. And and uh, you probably contacted it through sharing needles. And um, uh, for a moment... I was like, I kind of wish you didn't bring me back to life then because now I have to deal with this. Right. You know right. what I mean? And um, they let me go. No specialist, no nothing. They just kind of gave me the like information and they were like, all right, run with it. Was that in an emergency room setting? Is that where? Uh, that was the emergency room. I, I woke up in a... I woke up in a bed in the hospital about five days later. Yeah. So yeah. they kept me there because my left lung had collapsed. So I was in the hospital, uh, I think it was nine days. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they discharged me, they just kind of told me, listen, here's your paperwork. This is what's wrong with you medically. And um, kind of figure it out on your own. Is that a standard? Is that a kind of typical story? Unfortunately, it is. And that's what I was experiencing, that um, if insurance company wasn't allowing us to prescribe or to do the next level treatment, we were telling people, stay sober, because if you don't stay sober six months, we can't even begin the process of getting you help. And all of these people get this diagnosis. And since it doesn't seem an urgency, because you're not walking out with an appointment, you're not walking out with treatment options. It's kind of like, this is something you should do, especially for somebody who just overdosed, who's an active addiction. Well, okay, I'll put that on the shelf and get to it when they I can. They got their hands full already. Yep. Let's see what must have been almost amusing 
to have someone tell you after having been revived from an overdose that you wished had killed you, mm-hmm. oh, you've got a problem. <laughs> you've got this other disease. Uh, it's it's just terrible irony of, of substance abuse and the, the ways it can just devastate people. So, so you decided to get help for hep C? No, actually, I kind of ran with it. I mean, at that point, like I was like, what's the point now? I'm going to die anyway. Oh, that's the way you felt based upon what they told you? Yeah, because there was no real treatment options. They didn't really give me like any options. They were just like, here's your problem. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they let me leave. And so, I mean, like I was homeless at that point, so I didn't really have anything to live for. So then I was like, what's what's the point? Why get treatment? It wasn't until a couple months later that I finally decided to get sober. I uh, walked into like an old outpatient facility because I'm from... Cause I'm, um, cause I'm from Jersey, mm-hmm. so I'm really far from home. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "We actually know somebody uh, who can get you into retreat." I said, "Okay, let's go." And then there, that's when I met Doctor Dively, and um, she said, "Oh, listen, you have, um, you have uh, Hep C, and um, we have treatment for you." I said, what do you mean you have treatment for me? Like, I thought that, like, there was a waiting list and then, you know, there's this and you have to be sober six months and da 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 um, Apparently, like, I got in after they prescribed it after, I think, uh, it was like two months. I was in partial hospitalization after I left, like, inpatient and I started treatment. And uh, the eight weeks went by. I went back up to um, to retreat. They did another blood test and... There was no active strain. Amazing. Of course, we should not lose sight of the fact that the the key decision made in that chain of events was when you decided to get sober. Right. Because otherwise you don't find out that there's a place that can actually treat this thing. So, again, we're back to that. Yeah, we want to – yeah, you worry about hep C. But when you are a a substance abuser, number one, you got to get a handle on that. Did you have any symptoms during the period of time when you weren't? No, see, that's the scary part. I – didn't end up in the hospital until I was about 20 years old, and I've been using like IV drugs since I was 17. So I probably caught it way before like anything, and I felt perfectly fine. I didn't. I mean, besides being an active drug user, I physically felt fine. I didn't feel like any symptoms. I didn't feel like anything. And when I asked the nurse at the hospital, "How long can I live with this?" and she's like, "Oh, you can go years." And that kind of just gave me the green light to, like, why change it? Mm. You, you, you know what I mean? Sure. Well, when you're young, too, and you do have years, and, yeah, you figure, I got already got my hands full, so what am I going to worry about this for, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Morales uh, with us here. He is now uh, sober yes. and working on that and uh, relative, I mean, completely uh, free of hepatitis C. So, again, we mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, as bad as this all is, and it is bad, There are success stories out there. This is Recovery Radio. We have more with Melissa Callahan and Kevin Morales on the subject of hepatitis C and substance abuse. Straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We're going to return to our topic of hepatitis C and how uh, the strides are being made in treating it. Straight ahead. But I want to remind you that we're sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. I could go on at great length about uh, what a world-class organization they are, but that's not why they're sponsoring the program, to tell you the truth. They are sponsoring this program so that you know everything you need to know about this disease uh, and get the uh, uh, answers to questions you may have about this program or anything that's going on in your life. Uh, With 
you know, that regards substance abuse, we give you the phone number for retreat because, listen, if they can help you, they will. They've helped lots of people. They're very, very good and well thought of in the field. But the number is for informational purposes. Um, th- these are good people. They, they, they can give you good answers at a time when you, when you need good answers. Uh, and I hope you never have to use this phone number. Okay? This is one of those phone numbers I hope you never have to use. But it, it may be a lifesaver. 855-859-8808. Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. 855-859-8808. From uh, the, their, their director of uh, nursing and nurse practitioner, Melissa Callahan, is with us in the studio. Today she has spearheaded an effort at retreat to get out way out in front on uh, treating not only substance abuse, but hepatitis C, which we've seen an alarming rise in over the past couple of years. Now they are leaders as a result of the work of a lot of people here in uh, in treating IV drug users with this disease. Kevin Morales is an uh, alum of uh, Retreat. It was because he found out about Retreat that he discovered uh, there was a treatment for hepatitis C. Uh, Kevin, your story is amazing because you you let's face it, set out to end your life with a drug overdose, survive that to find out that now you've got this liver disease, but not much else in that, in that medical setting at that hospital that had revived you. Why is that? Unfortunately, um, there are many barriers to treatment for hepatitis C. And like I mentioned earlier, there was this uh, parameter you had to be six months sober So as a healthcare provider, you get the diagnosis. You can't even set them up with a GI specialist. Before you go any further, Mm -hmm. back up because I'm confused. When you say you you had to be sober six months, is that true? That was a parameter by insurance companies that was lifted a little over two years ago because they realized the population that was threefold increasing with acute and chronic hepatitis C was the addicted population. So – what they also found was trying to go that six months staying sober, hep C was spreading by astronomical numbers. So they thought, if we start approving it sooner, get the treatment sooner, we will stop the increase and the rise. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's, these geniuses, it takes them this long to figure this, this out. So there was no medical reason. In fact, it was bad medicine to say you had to wait six months. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and this, is just, this was just a dollar and cents uh, decision made by insurance companies. That's what they do. I mean, we, we, we understand that. So has it led to, or, or is it too early to tell, um, th- this idea that you, that you screen quickly and start treating it quickly? It seems logical that it would result in a, a lessening of this problem. Is that I agree. I agree. The outcomes should show a tremendous improvement. But I don't know that enough healthcare providers and healthcare settings realize that we have to be aggressive. We have to screen early. We have to find out if people qualify. We have to get them prescribed the medications. It was the thought before only a specialist, like I said, a GI specialist or an infectious disease doctor could prescribe these medications. A primary care provider, a nurse practitioner can prescribe them, and we need to start prescribing them and fighting to get it approved for patients because eight weeks for a cure, that's handing someone their life back. Hep C is killing more people than HIV. Would we, we were not nearly as lax when that diagnosis came out, and I think there's been many organizations who have fought really hard to get people treatment. Do you suppose that... Um that some of that laissez-faire attitude about hep C 
had to do with the, the, the lingering notion that, look, these people are messed up to begin with. Yes. Right? Yes. I agree. I, I think that um, having an addiction, although it is a disease process, is still not recognized as one. It's recognized as a choice and a set of people that we don't have time for almost. Mm. And I'm not speaking for people, but I have had so many patients who come in who are revived from an overdose and handed a pamphlet. Now, if I had a heart attack and I landed in the hospital, they don't just stop the heart attack, hand me a pamphlet and say, if I were to be a smoker, stop smoking, lose 200 pounds, figure it out. But we do this with all these people who have overdoses. They're revived in ERs and discharged within hours, sometimes with a pamphlet, sometimes with a telephone number, but the same thing that he experienced. Here you go. Mm, good Figure luck. it out. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, well, it, it, it's similar to the uh, initial reaction to HIV, which was, well, you won't, what do you want us to do? Worry about a disease that they got because of their behavior? Right. I mean, that was the original feeling about HIV until, of course, the the you know the the uh, gay community said hold it this is that we're sick people are dying let's 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 go after that uh, so Kevin you, you it's you, you take pills uh, how, were there any side effects how did you feel during your treatment uh well look it's my like understanding that side effects vary from person to person um my experience was I mean just a, just a little bit tired. I lost a little bit of weight, but not much. I mean, the effects were mild at the most. It didn't really like interfere my day-to-day life. It was a simple pill. Just take it in the morning, mm-hmm. and that was that. Um, and and you, you decide to follow that protocol because, after all, somebody's telling you this, is gonna, this could clear this up, but it went hand-in-hand hand with your decision to get sober, right? Yes, of course. Well, it's, it's the way I look at it. I'm given an option to not want just – treat my um i guess my mind to get rid of uh not not really get rid of the addiction but get better Mm -hmm. um more well suited to deal with life um but i'm also given a chance to actually fix my body yeah um especially now like if i didn't make that chance right now i wouldn't be you know like you know be like expecting my first kid you know what i mean it's just like a lot of miracles in recovery that came along with making that choice like being in a great you know re relationship being a dad to be mm-hmm. within you know the next couple months um great job great life family back in my life and most importantly great health you know what i mean and and, and that's just the beauty of recovery yeah it is the beauty of the recovery it's also the last thing someone abusing substances thinks about the toll that this this behavior is taking on your body mm-hmm and you make yourself very – I mean, we just look at the immediate problem. You're using these substances. Right. It devastates the body in all kinds of ways. Is there anything – is there any other uh, thing that Kevin – or things that Kevin has to do in a sort of responsible nature? Can he spread this uh, disease? Not any longer. Not any longer. So for the rest of his life, if he took an antibody test, it's going to show positive. But if he takes all the other tests that look at viral load, he has no viral load. He cannot transmit. If he does any high-risk behavior, he has the risk of reintroducing a new hep C virus. It would not be a recurrence of the original. So the original was cured, essentially, because the blood work came back. It's cured. If he were to ever have another contraction, it would be from high-risk behavior, whether it was an IV drug using or 
was exposed somehow in one of the other possibilities. I, I'm I'm confused about this and many things in my life. Uh, is this the first virus that's ever been cured? Because I'm under the opinion or under the understanding that these viruses just linger. So it's not a question of it being dormant. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. So there are three types of hepatitis, right? A, B, and C? Oh, yes. A, B, and C? So what, what are the, what are the, what's A and B? What are they? So hepatitis A and hepatitis B, thankfully, they actually have vaccinations for. Um, they are also blood-blood contact. Um, hepatitis A, most common, is ingested. So it's usually in third-world countries. The water's dirty. Uh, hands are dirty. Preparation of food is dirty. So if you travel to many of these countries, you are mandated to really get the vaccine. Um, it is a self-limiting virus. So generally, uh, there's not a lot of treatment. You have to ride it through. Hepatitis B, also blood contact. They realized way back that if they vaccinate it in multiple series, that you can be protected against it. All babies are mandated to get it from birth and go through the whole cycle. If you were born before they mandated it and you go into healthcare professional career, you do have to get the vaccinations. You have to be up to date on them. And then hepatitis C, of course, is what we're talking about. There are two forms of hepatitis C. There is acute hepatitis C and chronic. So acute hepatitis C is less than six months. Once your body is introduced to the virus, you actually heal it on your own. And there's probably one out of four people who are diagnosed with hep C who qualify as acute hep C. We have seen it in our setting where people have been diagnosed acute, they come back never doing any treatment, and they're actually resolved of it. Their body was able to fight the disease off. Um, but more, three out of four people who are diagnosed are chronic hep C. And if they don't do treatment, they will continue to progress. Um, um, what, what, you, what is your recommendation to people listening now who are, you know, want to get out in front of their, their substance abuse? Maybe they're IV users and they're looking for treatment. Is this a question they ask when they go in? Do you Absolutely. You, you, Absolutely. Most people don't even know they should ask that question, right? I'm not sure. I, I would hope that the population, especially the IV drug using population, is more educated to know their risk. Um, but any treatment you go into, you absolutely should be screened. And then three to six months after, recommend it really six months after your last high-risk behavior, you should get screened again and make sure. So you can ask a facility, do you screen yes. for hep C? And, and also, do you treat it? Correct. Because that doesn't go on, they don't, they don't go hand in hand, right? No, no. Yeah. So your recommendation is get yourself into a facility, retreat being just one, uh, one of the first, but that does both things. Correct. Because you're going to have to get around to this sooner or later. Correct. Where no symptoms too. We got to remind people that no you, you will. Right, Kev, you didn't. You didn't have any symptoms of this. No, and I, that's the scary part. You can go years and years and not know that you have it until you just happen to stumble along, whether it be a hospital or a place like retreat that screens for, mm -hmm. and then that's when you find out. But then part of that is like a guilty conscience. It's like how many people have I spread it to? You know what I mean? And like, yeah. that's just the lack of information and, and just the lack of care. I mean, at some points that it's, it's that we don't know what's yeah. really going on yeah. until well, it's too late. Yeah. Ignorance will, you know, kill more people than, than anything I can think of. Uh, Melissa Callahan and Kevin Morales, our guests, we're talking about hepatitis C. It's a sort of good news, bad news. Uh, the disease is awful. It's uh, often a result of um, bad choices and, and, and substance abuse. 
But the good news is it's, it's now recognized as a problem and, and it's treatable, very, very treatable. Stay with us. We have another segment. This is Recovery Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you. Uh, we, we, this has really been a terrific show. Um, learned a lot about hepatitis C. Uh, for those of you who maybe are not uh, abusing substances and don't worry about this, um, how many how many tats do you have? You guys that are all linked up, you got to be careful. That's another way you can get this uh, disease. Um, it's been a real eye-opener uh, because of the information provided by our guests, Melissa Callahan, nurse practitioner and director of nursing here at Retreat, and um, young Kevin Morales, who is uh, working on his sobriety and doing a nice job of doing that, but uh, shares with us the fact that he contacted uh, contracted uh, hepatitis C as a result of uh, IV drug use, That, but now because he got treatment, um, he's, he's, he's healthy and and he doesn't have that disease anymore, serious liver disease. Uh, in the couple of minutes we have left, uh, Melissa, uh, Kevin's story is a cautionary tale uh, in a number of ways, not least of which is that it he found out about it in the worst possible uh, setting. What's got to change about that? Um, I think that when I came to retreat, I realized that this is a setting that someone can be told this diagnosis, given hope and support, to get sober and realize that there's treatment options out there and this is the time to start. Getting people started as soon as possible where you have medical staff present every day, so if you're gonna present with symptoms, having someone who's gonna fight first of all to get it approved. When you go to your doctor's office on the outside and they say, okay, we're gonna start this treatment, you know, you wait every week, you wait for a call back, you call in, they're like, oh, we haven't heard anything, we haven't heard anything. When you're there living in the facility, seeing the providers every day and they're like, okay, I'm working on it, I'm calling the insurance again today, then the day it gets approved, you find out real time in the middle of your day where you're sharing and just trying to figure out how to be sober. And to start the treatment with a nursing staff who's there 24 hours a day, who can get medication started, and then to go through the whole treatment and then get your follow-up blood work and be still with the same people who are supporting you in your sobriety. So having the option to treat this disease process while you're also treating your disease process of addiction, I thought was priceless. Well, it's... uh and once things like this occur, they become so self-evident. This is the way it should have been. You know, we talk a lot in in the discussion of substance abuse about something called co-occurring disorders. They have historically generally meant uh, mental health psychiatric, issues, psychiatric correct. issues that go hand in hand. And, and after having, uh, you know, discovered that that was going on, I think in that instance, the co-occurring dis- uh, disorder and the substance abuse d- are treated together. Correct. Otherwise, you're not going to have any success. Correct. On either side. It's been very fortunate for a patient who actually realizes the enormity of that diagnosis to meet right away with their therapist or counselor and actually work through it and have conversation and be educated on how it's transmitted. What are really the outcomes? What are your options? Because it is another co-occurring coincidence or disease that you cannot separate from from the substance abuse, correct. Right? In order, correct. in order to do it, you agree, Kevin? Yes. That that it had it had to be an outgrowth of your treatment to get sober. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Exactly. Um, they definitely have to flow hand in hand because if not, it's 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 you're trying to battle one and not really paying attention to the other, and that doesn't really work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it. Like it's good to have 
for example, when I had uh, Dr. Dively's, I guess, support from her, like in the staff, it made it feel possible. It made it feel like this is a real thing, like I could actually get better. When I was told in the hospital, this is what you need to do, yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. There's no hope there. Yeah, well, you know, in the situation of a drug overdose and you wind up in an emergency room, you know, they're going to stabilize you and get you walking out, but they're not going to treat your substance abuse and they're not going to do much for uh, hep C. That's why you got to get in front of the right people. And so anybody listening, as we said earlier, who wants to know where to get treatment for this disease, um, th this program is dedicated to making sure you ask the right questions and screening for hep C is certainly an important question to ask and whether the facility um, treats it. Finally, Kevin, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Continued success. Did you say you had a new baby? Uh, no. On um, the way? Yes. Oh, yes, great. Yes, it's on the way. Like uh, The due date is April 17th oh, of well, next year. So. Congratulations. That's fan yeah. fantastic. Uh, um, Melissa, um, f uh, finally, how 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 much more has to be done? I mean, are, are, is the industry, the treatment industry, uh, pushing insurance companies, pushing everybody in this direction? I think so. I think so. Um, pharmaceutical companies are creating medications that are tolerable. Um, the cost has been an issue for a long time, but I feel that the pharmaceutical industry is creating the ability for patients to be able to afford this. And I believe that insurance companies are finding a way for it to make sense to have the treatments happen mm -hmm. and to get them covered. I think we can see see the changes. As I said, I now see the commercials with target my my cohort, the baby boomers, saying if you're born in this uh, in this uh, time frame, you, you 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 know you need to get screened. You know we know that tattoos are a tremendous uh, and growing fashion accessory, I guess. People got to be aware of that, right? They, they got to be aware of that. Yeah, and I believe that tattoo parlors now are licensed and held to the highest standard, that there is a safety factor there that hep C is not being transmitted in that setting because it was tattoos and piercings that were the case. Um, I, I would say every medical industry is now understands how to sterilize and use equipment correctly. And, you know, before opiate hit our market the way it did and the epidemic became what it was from 1989 to almost 2007 the amount of cases of hep c was going down 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 so it's this one set of population um and it's opioid addiction altogether i do want people to also realize that besides iv drug using if you are snorting and sharing those devices you can also transfer hep c that way so um, snorting devices, razors, toothbrushes. Yeah. So if someone is positive, it's any ability that any blood is then being in contact with someone else's yeah. blood. Get sober, folks. Get sober as fast as you can. Melissa Callahan, Kevin Morales, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. It's been a, it's been a real, um, real eye-opening experience. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Please look for us Saturdays on Recovery Radio. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.